stay standing long enough just to read one verse. And I want to talk to you about healing your soul, the healing of your soul. This is the call of the Lord Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus speaking in the first person through Isaiah. The personal pronoun, notice, me. The Lord God is upon me. So God is, through Christ, actually speaking through Isaiah, saying this about himself when he wasn't here yet. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and qualified me to preach the gospel of good tidings to the meek, the poor, and the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. Now that's a summation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And when he says brokenhearted, that has to do with your soul. I want to pray for you, Father. I just thank you that there's going to be healing of souls, the souls of people here today. We pray that you will reach out and touch them right where they are, bind up their wounds, heal them in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to say with me, there's healing in the house today. You can be seated. God bless you. And I want to, I want to talk to you for a little bit now about this. This has been on my heart for quite some time. Uh, when Isaiah uses the word brokenhearted or Jesus through him, he said, I've come or I'm going to come and heal the broken in heart. Now, brokenhearted, translated from the Hebrew language, refers to people who have been afflicted with calamity, who are poor in circumstances, or who have been wounded by offenses, abuse, or personal sin. See, there's a lot of ways your soul can be wounded, that it can be afflicted. And the soul is just like the human body. We're going to see this today. It can be wounded, afflicted. And Jesus said, one of the reasons I came was to heal the inside of you. Not just the outside, but the inside of you. Because the inside is as wounded and afflicted and scarred as the outside. My message today is directed to struggling Christians. You're saved. You're washed in the blood. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart. But you have experienced deep wounds in your soul. And you're brokenhearted. Your soul is shattered. There are scars. There are wounds that have not been bound up. You're still walking around bleeding on the inside. Now, some of these wounds are from childhood. You were hurt as a child, rejected as a child, betrayed as a child, wronged as a child, abused as a child. And it follows you and trails you and haunts you to this day. It's left a mark on your soul. Some are from later years. You might have been wounded this year, maybe this month, maybe this week. But you're wounded in your soul. And understand with me today that a wound to the soul causes great grief. It affects everything in your life. If you leave it untended, it will marginalize your ability to enjoy life, to enjoy the blessings that God has for you. You wonder what's wrong with you. You wonder why you don't have joy. You wonder why you can't seem to get with it. You wonder why you don't wake up feeling happy. You wonder why you just don't seem to be fulfilled. You're saved, but you're wondering what the matter might be. You're experiencing God as being marginalized. And I'm going to tell you, there is a reality that we need to understand as believers. We need to go deeper than the physical and understand our souls can be wounded. 
deeply traumatized, can be affected for years. Now you say, well, what is my soul? The Bible talks about the soul, and you've got to understand today, you are not an evolutionary uh, mishap. Your ancient ancestor did not crawl out of some ancient sea as an amoeba and over time and chance and millions of years grow legs and lungs and eyes and ears and now you are who you are. No, God created you like himself. And that means you're three part. He is body, or you are body, soul, and spirit. He's father, father, son, and Holy Spirit. Father, son, and Holy Spirit. He's three part. He made you like him. You have a body. You have a soul, and you have a spirit. Your soul can be wounded. The Bible says that your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Suke is the Greek word soul. We get psyche from it, your soul. Psychology, the study of the soul, the mind. Your personality, for instance, is a part of your soul. Who you are, the way you think your temperament, all of that is a part of your soul. The Bible teaches that your soul is eternal. Now, God had no beginning and God had no end. He inhabits eternity. But you had a beginning, but you have no end. Because your soul is eternal and Jesus knew it. That's why he came and died. He came to save your soul from eternal destruction. Every person listening to me and those listening by tape. Your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere according to the word of God. And Jesus talked about it more than anybody in the Bible. Your soul is going to spend eternity either in heaven with him or in miserable eternal separation from him. That's the value of the soul. Your soul is so valuable that God wrapped himself in flesh. Walked up a hill, naked, bleeding, carrying a cross, and died for you. He died not to give you, I don't know, a better philosophy about life, though he did do that. But he died to save your soul from being lost forever, disconnected from God. He said that your soul is so valuable that all that the world can offer you for your soul or in the place of your soul isn't even thought-worthy. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You can be as rich as Bill Gates, as rich as Donald Trump, but lose your soul. That's why you're richer than them if you're saved. And as the body can be wounded and in need of healing, so the soul can be wounded and be in need of healing. Just like the body can be wounded, the soul can be shattered, gashed, cut, wounded, scarred. The soul. David prayed, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. David said, I sinned, and when I sinned, it wounded my soul. And Lord, my, my soul is in need of healing. I need you to heal my soul, Lord. And in another place, David described, he vented, he let us know what his soul that needed healing 
was experiencing. He said, why are you cast down on my soul? He's even talking to his own wounded soul. Why are you cast down on my soul, my inner self? Why should you moan over me and be disquieted within me? That's one of the marks of a wounded soul. Disquietude. Oh my God, my life is cast down upon me and I find the burden more than I can bear. David had a wounded soul and it was more than he could bear. It was weighing down on him. He was not enjoying life because his soul was wounded. Wise King Solomon, who was at least wise for part of his life, he wrote the Proverbs, most of the Proverbs, and he described a wounded soul. He said, a cheerful heart brings a smile to your face, does it not? That's why I want you to go out of here smiling. But a sad heart, and your heart is part of your soul, a sad soul, we could easily say, makes it hard to get through the day. Proverbs fifteen thirteen, because you're dragging that wounded soul around and it's a monkey on your back it's the 800 pound gorilla you're dragging it around it needs to be healed even though you're redeemed you can be redeemed and need healing in your soul and that's why when you go on with god you can say with david he restores my soul he restores my soul david said the law of the lord the word of god is perfect restoring the soul the mind, the will, and the emotions. He said, again, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit, a broken soul, a shattered soul saps a person's strength. Now, there's a difference between a healing, or or we could say a miracle, and some healings. If you experience a miracle, a miraculous deliverance, you may experience immediate freedom and joy, but healing often takes time. The healing of the soul is a process. It's incremental. It can sometimes take years. As a matter of fact, it will. It'll take years to restore your soul. That's what the renewing of the mind is all about. We come to Jesus a great, big, blubbery mess. And he begins to restore our soul. He begins to restore our soul, but it takes time. It'll take the rest of your life. But there are some things God doesn't want you walking around with the rest of your life. He wants to heal your soul. Now, there are symptoms to a soul that needs to be healed. Let me give you a few of them. Anger. Resentment. Impatience. Emotional outbursts for no apparent reason. Just, you just blow. Rebellion. Falling apart when corrected. You can't correct somebody often that has a wounded soul. Because everything you do goes through the sifter of their pain. And they don't interpret the correction right. You can't correct them. They take it personally. They get defensive. When the Bible says you ought to be grateful for somebody correcting you. Another sign of a soul that needs to be healed, recurring nightmares. You can't quit dreaming certain dreams. Nightmares, you wake up in a sweat. That could be that you need to be healed. Unhealthy preoccupation with the past is a sure sign of a soul that needs to be healed. You want to look forward, but you can't. You live life in the rearview mirror. You're always looking back to that time and place and people and circumstance where you got hurt and wronged and where your soul was shattered and wounded. And you keep looking back, keep looking back, keep looking back. People with wounded souls are like somebody that's been shot, but they haven't been able to get to a hospital They are the invisible wounded, and they come walking into the church, limping into the church every week. They go through the motions of life, 
But all the while, they're in inward pain. And I'm going to tell you, that's not the will of God for you. God wants to heal your soul. He said, I've been anointed. That means, that's good news. I've been anointed by the power of God to heal your soul. A sick person will often medicate themselves in order to get relief from pain. They take pain medicine. It doesn't fix what's wrong, but it takes away the pain. And that's what people who need healing in their soul do. A soul-sick person self-medicates. They'll pick alcohol, and they'll self-medicate. Or legal or illegal drugs, and they'll self-medicate. We live in a whole culture that is self-medicating because we're in a culture whose soul has been shattered by sin and darkness and the enemy of our own souls. And so everybody, it seems to me, is self-medicating. If you're here today and you're not addicted to anything but Jesus, you are the exception. They may become involved with endless sexual relationships. Go from relationship to relationship, person to person, romance to romance, bed to bed. And what are you looking for? Acceptance, understanding, love and sympathy. You're trying to assuage the pain. But it's pain medicine and it doesn't fix what's wrong. Let me give you a newsflash. Money won't heal you. Fame won't heal you. I'm going to say it. Oprah won't heal you. Dr. Phil won't heal you. Dr. Jesus will heal you. Come on, church. We got to get real now. It's time to get real with this thing. Somebody can give you good advice from time to time, but you don't need advice. You need the anointing of the Lord to reach into your heart and heal your life. Fame won't do it. People won't do it. Jesus lamented that people often turned him away and missed what he could have done for them as far as healing their life. Listen to what he says. There's sorrow in his voice. He says, the hearts of these people are hardened. They have closed their eyes so that they cannot see, their ears that they cannot hear, their hearts that they cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. There's healing in the person of Jesus. Look over yonder at that hill where that cross is set up against a dark sky and there's somebody hanging on that cross. His name is Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. He was as innocent As the day is long, yet they crucified him, took him through kangaroo court, lied about him, but he was crucified for your sins. He was pierced for your iniquities, and the healing of your life is in that blood. There is healing in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus, and it's only in Jesus. I don't know where you are today, but I'm telling you, find that cross. Bow down at that cross. Bow down to the one that's hanging on that cross. Because that blood streaming down that old rugged cross is the healing of your body, the healing of your soul, the healing of your spirit, the healing of your life. The healing of your marriage, the healing of your children, the healing of all that the devil has attacked. I don't think very many people in the Bible were more wounded in their souls than Joseph. You know, I've been saved a long time, and I've been preaching a long time. 
36, 37 years. It's hard for me to believe. Preaching a long time. And I intend to be preaching when I'm 90. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to tell you something. I still can't read the story of Joseph without weeping every time I read it. You talk about drama. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis puts to shame anything Shakespeare ever put a pen to. It is full of all of the drama of a great play, but it just so happens it's historically real. And Joseph was wounded in his soul. Now, it came from a double-edged sword, and I think most people that have been wounded in their soul, unless it's from personal sin where you've gone out into immorality or drug abuse or something and has wounded your soul, I think most of the woundings in our souls came from the same thing that hit Joseph, the double-edged sword of rejection and betrayal. We live in a betraying culture. We live in a betraying, backstabbing, tongue-wagging, slanderous, gossiping culture. And Joseph got hit with rejection and betrayal from major people in his life, not once, but three times at least. First, he got rejected by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood brothers. And you know the story. His brothers threw him under the bus out of envy and jealousy, sold him into slavery. When a caravan of slave traders came by, they had been holding him down in a deep, dark pit, talking about killing him. One of them talked them out of killing him, but they pulled him out of the pit and sold him for money. His own brothers, think about that. Put yourself in his shoes. Let your imagination run just a little bit. They shackle him. They put him in the slave caravan. I don't know if he was looking through a cage or just shackled, but I know that he saw his brothers as they were taken away, as they headed towards Egypt in his own kin, standing there with hardened face, furrowed brow, callous eyes, didn't care what happened to their own little brother. And I'm going to tell you right then, Satan was standing there. I know the devil. Stabbing his soul, ripping his soul, shattering his soul. Look at that, your own brothers. Selling you like you're nothing. Don't care if you live or die. It ripped his soul. Well, but it says God was with him. Then he gets to Egypt. He finds favor because God's with him. With Potiphar, who was a... a um, way up there in Egyptian culture, a man of authority, took him into his house. Joseph was good-looking, the Bible says, good-looking young man. And the wife of Potiphar cast her lustful eyes on him. And it says in the Bible, every day she tried to seduce him. Think about that, every day. Every day she hit on him. Every day she went after him. Finally, out of frustration, one day after day after day and week after week of this, she tried literally to drag him into the bed. She, and he, uh, out of fear and out of terror, he fled from her, left his garment in her hand. Second, betrayal and rejection. She lied about him, said, that man tried to rape me. Her husband, whether or not he believed it, he went along with it. And he was thrown down into prison for something he did not do. As innocent as the day is long, he didn't do it. Rejection and betrayal. Can you imagine sitting in an Egyptian prison, a deep, dark, dank, stinky, wretched Egyptian prison? And you think he didn't wake up being a normal human being and say, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my brothers. Sold me up the river 
And now here I am sitting in prison. I wouldn't have even been in Egypt for this to happen to me if it hadn't been for them. You think the bitterness didn't rip at him? You think that anger did not tear at him? You think he didn't go through all kinds of emotional ups and downs? Where is God in my life? How has he let this happen to me? I know the way people think. How did God let this happen to me if he's real? How did God let this happen if he's really with me? But somehow Joseph, and I'm going to show you how in a minute, he made it through this. Well, that was the second experience of rejection and betrayal. But then there came a third one. Here he is down in the prison. He's been down there for quite a while. He was down there for years for something he didn't do. And one day the chief butler and the chief baker, they were servants of Pharaoh, were were put down in prison for something. And they had a dream. They had dreams that terrified them. And Joseph had a gift from God. His gift was to interpret dreams. He had a gift just like you do. He had a gift. You've got a gift. You've got a gift from God. He had a gift. And he interpreted their dreams. And it was right on, dead on accurate. He told one of them, you're going to be killed. You're going to be executed. He told the other one, the chief butler, you're going to be saved alive. You're going to be put back in your position. But you know what? The day came that they got out. They got set free. They got released. And the Bible says that when they got released, the Bible says that It says, even after all that, the chief butler who was spared, like Joseph had predicted, he was spared. It says, the chief butler gave no thought to Joseph, forgot all about him. There's nothing like being forgotten. Nothing like being treated like you don't exist. That's what contempt means. Contempt means I treat you like you don't even exist. You're not even real in my book. You're not on this planet. That's contempt. This this butler, Joseph, blessed him, told him he was going to be saved alive, but when he gets out, forgot all about him. So there, number three, rejection and betrayal. Nothing hurts like rejection, church. Nothing hurts like betrayal. You thought they were with you, but they weren't. You thought they were standing with you, but they weren't. You thought they would never walk away, but they did. But that's the world we live in. What are you going to do with that? When it happens, not if it happens, when? Now, let me tell you what I think he felt like. I think he felt demoralized, unwanted, trashed, and worthless. Three times. The major people in my life have rejected me and betrayed me. What do I do with that? How do I handle that? But I'm going to tell you something. God is good. Now, let me give you a little statement. Life's not fair. Uh Uh-uh. Don't expect it to be fair. Don't get mad when it's not fair. Don't play a violin and sure don't become a victim. Because life's not fair. It's going to deal you a bad hand from time to time. Life's not fair, but God is good all the time. Life's not fair. That's always going to be true. But God is good. That's always going to be true. And let me tell you something. Satan never gets the best of you when you're God's. As a matter of fact, God always checkmates the devil. Always. I see in the story of Joseph, God began to work on his behalf to restore his soul. Now, I want to tell you today, truthfully, 
God is already at work to restore your soul. If you're a child of God, the first thing God undertook was the restoration of your soul. When the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, you became a God project. And God's got you on the potter's wheel. And yeah, you're damaged goods. Oh yeah, He only redeems damaged goods. He only gets damaged goods. But He gets those damaged goods and He begins to restore your soul. Your mind, the way you think, your will, the direction you're going, and your emotions, the way you enjoy or don't enjoy life. He begins to restore your soul. I mean, get ready. And, and be patient with me and I'll be patient with you because God's not finished with us yet. I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be because I'm on the potter's wheel. I'm on the potter's wheel. So let me show you how God restored his life. Are you ready? Can you take just a few minutes of how God restored him? Take these notes. You're going to need it. You're going to need it maybe by the time you get home today. Key number one, he became personally involved in blessing others. I cannot tell you how important it is that you take the gift that God has given you and you bless others. Joseph did not sit in his cell whining, crying, playing a violin, singing the sad song, born under a bad sign. He did not pick up country and western music. And I know some of you like country music, and I'm real sorry, but to me, country music would be gone if it didn't have to do with heartbreak. If it didn't have to do with heartbreak, country music would be gone. Or booze plus blues equals heartache. But Joseph said, I'm going to be a blessing. So he stepped out with his gift and he ministered to the chief butler and the chief baker. Down in the dungeon, he asked them what was wrong with them. And they said, well, we had some dreams. And he said, let me help you. Let me bless you. Let me minister to you. Let me reach out to you. And he interpreted their dreams. Now, it didn't bless the baker because he said, you're going to die. But it blessed the butler because he said, you're going to live. Be careful when you ask a prophet to interpret your dreams. It may not be good news. But then Pharaoh had two disturbing dreams. And we learn that he called all of his magicians, all of his sorcerers, all of his soothsayers, all of the spiritual mystical people in his kingdom, and nobody could interpret his dream. And it was at this point the chief butler suddenly decided to remember Joseph. He said, oh, Pharaoh, I forgot there was a man in the dungeon, in the prison. He was a Hebrew, and he can interpret dreams. The Bible says Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison, combed his hair, shaved his face, put on a new suit of clothes, and stood in front of the most powerful man in the world. You better have the Spirit of God. And through God's gift on his life, he said, tell me, tell me what your dreams were. And Pharaoh told him, and they were serious dreams. It had to do with the whole future of Egypt and a famine that was coming. It was very important. And through God's gift on his life, Joseph heard Pharaoh's dreams and was dead on in his interpretation. He said, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You need to get ready during the years of plenty and save up against the years of famine, Pharaoh. And when he was all done, Pharaoh was stunned, shocked, amazed, stupefied. And he said these words, Can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. 
Now here stands Joseph, the rejected and betrayed one, hearing the mightiest man on earth speak this over him. Everybody say restoration. restoration. See, when you get right with God and you don't get bitter and you just say, Lord, I trust myself in the sovereignty of your hand. There is nothing God won't do. There is no one he won't bring into your life. There is no mountain he won't bring down and or valley he won't bring up. He'll make a straight way for your life because he's the God of the universe and loves you more than you want him to love you. Now look what Pharaoh said. He said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly nobody else is as intelligent or wise as you are. He said, you're going to be in charge of my court and all my people and take orders from me. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. And then he said to the people, when you see Joseph coming, you bow. Now here's the rejected one. Here's the betrayed one. Here's the one that people wrote off with contempt like he didn't even exist. But now he's walking down the streets of Egypt, second only to the man. Everybody say, God restores. See, God's restoring him. He's restoring his sense of value, his sense of worth. He's restoring his soul. He's showing him he's a man of destiny. He's showing him he's a man of purpose. He's showing him he's God's anointed. The first key to the restoration of your soul is the act of blessing others. Joseph blessed others and was promoted, was blessed. The Bible says, he that waters will himself be watered. You can't outgive God. When you're down and out and blue and you want to hide in your bedroom, hide in your cave and never come out again, put on your shoes, get dressed, go outside and find somebody to bless. You've got a gift. Find somebody to bless. I can't tell you how many times in my life ministry has been therapeutic for me. When I go and bless other people, I walk away blessed. Ask me when the greatest moment of my life is, and I'll tell you, it's when church is over and we're driving home and I'm floating on cloud nine. Because what I bless you with, God's going to bless me with. Every time I give you a message he gives me, he gives me two more because I gave you the last one. I can't outgive God. God blesses me. So get out of your selfish life. It's not all about you and your pain. Put your violin down and go bless somebody. Now the second thing, God further orchestrated the circumstances for Joseph's healing when the brothers that had betrayed him suddenly appeared in Egypt in search of food. Suddenly, those that had sold him away had never even checked on him one time, are standing there. And they're needing something from him. You know how I know that he was beginning to get healed? Because of what he didn't do. (laughs) What he didn't do. Because he's second only. All he's got to turn and do is say to the guards, these are the ones that sold me into slavery. Take care of it. And just walk away. The brothers are no more. But that's not what was in his heart because God was in his heart. Now, church, listen to me. God was in his heart. So I know that he was beginning to get restored because some of you, if you were him at that point, those brothers would have been vaporized. They would have been gone. You would have said, aha, the Lord has delivered them into my hand. 
Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Vengeance is the Lord's. And I'm about to execute it. But here, listen to this. If we would stay alert, if we would stay alert, we'd see the hand of God orchestrating circumstances to bring about our inner healing and restoration. You run into that person. You run into those people. You run into that circumstance that brings the pain to the fore. And you remember it was them or it was that that brought the pain. And what God's looking for because he's out to restore you is that you have a godly response. Joseph responded with forgiveness in the hour of confrontation, not vengeance. It says, man, he went the extra mile. It says Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, gave them his own food. He gave Benjamin five times as much because they had the same mama. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Everybody say forgiveness. I've rarely seen a soul that would not get healed, that at the root of it was not some level of unforgiveness. You got to forgive. You don't forgive for them, you forgive for you. You don't forgive to set them free, you forgive to set you free. Uh, No person is worth you losing your walk with God, not one. I don't care who they are or what they did. Nobody's worth you losing your walk with God. You forgive them. You forgive them. But God kept on with Joseph, and he wanted to heal him. So it says Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. He said to his attendants, get out of here, out of here, all of you go. So he was alone with his brothers, and then he told them who he was. See, he looked like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. He'd been speaking through an interpreter, but didn't even really need to. He knew Hebrew and knew what they were saying. But they thought he was an Egyptian. And can you imagine what it would do to you if you sent the boy down the river to die, never checked on him and wrote him off as dead, and all of a sudden he's over the whole land looking at you saying, you it's me. I'll be back. Can you imagine the terror? And look at what he said. He said, let me tell you all something, why I'm restored. Let me tell you what helped me. I have seen the hand of God in everything I went through. You see, my God works through the pain. My God works through the rejection. My God works through the betrayal. My God works through it all. And he said, you intended to harm me, and that's a fact. You were complicit in the crime. If they were here today and they went to court, those brothers would go to prison for attempted murder and selling him away. It was prosecutable. But Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but I've realized something about my God. And Paul expanded on it later in Romans 8.28. He is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. It doesn't matter what you do. My God is going to work in it and through it and around it, and He's going to carry me into victory. That's why, church, you are more than a conqueror through Him who loved you. You are the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are blessed in the storehouse and blessed in the field, blessed when you go out the door in the morning, and blessed when you come home at night. Can I tell you today, God's on your side. Mm-hmm.
Why don't you get excited, Pastor Jeff? Well, I am excited. Because I know that God always checkmates the devil. He said to them, so don't be afraid. I'm not a man of vengeance. I'm a restored man. I'll continue to take care of you and your children, he said. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You sold me down the river, but I'm going to take care of you. Only a restored person can say that. He said, the devil tried to destroy me, and you were willing accomplices. But I see now that God had it all under control. Stand with me, can you? Say something with me now. If you want to be healed in your soul, say this. Be a blessing to others. Forgive those that hurt you. And see God's hand working in your life. It's working right now. Can we bow for a moment of prayer? And I want to pray for your soul. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, my soul has been hurt, wounded, shattered. I'm bleeding on the inside. I've got pain. And I need the Lord to heal it. Can I see your hands today? Many of you all throughout this sanctuary. Father, I just pray that you will do what only you can do. The anointing of God will reach into their soul and heal them and restore their soul. And I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll give the Lord a hand of praise. He cares about you. you